It's time for Adventures in Evolution with Andrew Harvey and Raven Sinclair. Your path to radiant embodiment begins now. My name is Andrew Harvey and I'm absolutely thrilled to be embarking on Adventures into Evolution and into Radiant Embodiment with my dear friend Raven Sinclair. We've come to the moment in which we'll either transfigure ourselves as a human race, become another kind of human race, or die out, because it is quite clear to all of us with half a brain and half a heart that as we are, we are simply incapable of rising to the challenges that our own greed and hubris have created. This is a very alarming situation, but we have immense help from the mystical traditions in dealing with it. So I'm especially thrilled to be talking to Raven because Raven has a very deep and rich understanding of the hermetic tradition, the hermetic philosophical tradition. And my dear Raven, please, from the depth of what you've learned and from the depth of what this amazing tradition you champion, speak to us about what you're uncovering of this evolutionary adventure. Well, thank you, Andrew. I'm so happy to be here with you and starting this, as you called it, it's the ultimate adventure because we are in the ultimate situation. And um, the ancient teachings of Hermeticism really tell us, I mean, just to start from the beginning, but I'll try to be as brief as possible, tell us that we are all sparks of God, that we are all divinity. And we've entered into this world of polarities where there's life and death, and we've fallen asleep to the fact that we're eternal. So our soul must be reawakened through union with the divine counterpart, our own divine counterpart, which is the God within, God within. And the journey to, to really uncover it, this is our ultimate purpose. And it's an inward journey, also mirrored outward because as within, so without, but it's an inner journey that's found when we really truly understand the natural laws or the principles of created things and our relationship to these laws. So radiant embodiment in the context of hermetic teachings is when we, through spiritual exploration, through intention, work with the laws of creation to become aware of our true nature or our, our oneness. And we carry the light of our divinity as a transformed divine human. So that's in a, in a really tiny nutshell what this is. And what are these laws? What are the most important laws mm -hmm. that your tradition asks us to be aligned to? Well, there are seven principles of creation according to Hermeticism, and, and these apply to the physical, the mental, and the spiritual, and all the various dimensions in between and beyond those. A lot of mystics will say this law is more important than the other one. One of those is the law of correspondence or the principle of correspondence, and I'll tell you a little bit about that. That's supposed to be really the most important for our evolution. But truly, you have to understand all the principles and how they work together. You can't take them in pieces and parts. And so if you look at other teachings that are out there, uh, even the law of attraction takes a little piece of hermetic principle, but you don't really have the whole picture. Uh, and so sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But back to the principle of correspondence, that's the as within, so without, as above, so below. 
and it really tells that everything that we see and experience is a mirror of what's going on inside us. And if we are conscious enough to see what's going outside, on outside of us and go inward with that experience and see how we can heal that within instead of always pointing fingers outside or pounding our fist at something that's going on outside of us, we go within and we say, how can we heal this aspect within myself? It's an amazing, miraculous thing, as you know, because the, the world really does change when we do. Absolutely. So apply that to someone like Trump. We're yeah. living in what could potentially turn into a fascist dictatorship. He's got all the makings of a fascist dictator. Mm -hmm. The Senate is now capitulated. Half the country is in a total delusion about this obviously criminal president. How do we apply the law of correspondence to Trump? Well, I think uh, there's so many aspects. Yeah, there's quite an adventure. There's so many aspects of this, Andrew. And one of them is we tend to project all of our power outside of ourselves all the time. So we, uh, we find people that we want to emulate and we idolize them and we say, oh, they're the best leader and, and uh, I'm going to follow them. Or we find the dictators or the villains, those who have chosen to play a villain this time around. And we say, oh, they're making my life miserable. They're ruining everything. And so I think the first thing that he can show us is we need to govern ourselves for one thing. We need to take back govern, you know, government of our own bodies and our own souls. That's the first thing. The other thing is he's really such a shadow example, isn't he? Of all the battles that we have inside of ourselves, all the, uh, the us versus them that exist within us. And so, so that's one thing. There's this other aspect that that's a little tricky to tell somebody because you get some strange looks. But one of the things that I've gotten from Hermeticism is that you cannot argue with what is. So anytime there's something happening in the world that we don't like and we say, this is terrible. I mean, of course it's terrible, but we put our own judgments on it and we get caught up in uh, really an ego a little bit, in ego emotions. Anytime we do that, our ego grows and our divine light diminishes. And so if you can be free of judgments as much as possible, and that's what the hermetic principles have done for me. Of course, I'm no master of that in, at all. I get very upset looking at the, what's going on in the world. But one of the things it has done is helped me to see a bird's eye view a little bit more. And so if I can see things without judgment and look at the bigger picture, then it just naturally puts me in a place of divine connection. I have more insight. I have an ability to see what my right next step could be and how I could make some kind of lasting change or help join others to make some kind of lasting change instead of just reacting from the emotions of it. Yeah, did I answer your question? Absolutely. I think too, perhaps, that Trump offers us all an extraordinary opportunity to make conscious our own inner Trump, our own addiction to power, our own addiction to hubris, our own addiction to getting our own way, whatever happens, our own pathological narcissism. Absolutely. So Trump is doing a huge favor in one dark way to us at this moment by representing 
the insanity of the ego unfettered, which is our own insanity when our ego is mm -hmm. unfettered. What does Hermeticism have to say about social and political action? Because while we must accept that everything that's happening outside is also happening inside, we must also accept that some of what's happening is happening because we are pursuing unjust goals and they need to be treated as such and we need to act from a place of justice and compassion to rectify what's happening outside. Mm -hmm. So this is complex, isn't it? It isn't just that you embrace the shadow and say, oh, I have the same shadow, so it's fine. It's not that. It's that you embrace your shadow, realize how lethal your own shadow is, and then do whatever you can from your truth to react with compassion and with justice. That's the real correspondence, isn't it? Because that's how the divine works. Oh, it is. And I'm so glad you brought that up because Hermeticism teaches us, as, as does science, that for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. And so we have to be, you know, the consciousness with which we engage in sacred activism, the consciousness that we do that with is tricky and important because we don't want to feed the, the pendulum swing. So our actions want to be above the pendulum swing, basically. So they're not as affected by it. And so we do our inner work first. That's the thing, is that it's so much easier to set out and save the world than it is to save ourselves. And so a lot of people do that. They want to go volunteer and, and protest and things and good on them because we, we do need that. But it's really important to do that inner work first. Make sure you're clean and clear before you set out to try to make lasting change on the planet and in the world. I think you have to do the two at the same time because I think we don't have time for people not to react from a passionate place against the ravaging of the poor, against the destruction of the climate. We've been given 10 years in which to react. What we need to do is to combine reacting from as inspired a sacred consciousness as we can get to with constant inner work, especially shadow work, because without constant shadow work, our actions will be stained by ego and stained by condemning others and stained by blaming instead of arriving from as sacred a place as possible to do as much constructive, transformative work as possible. Good point. And I mean, you said it so much better than, than I did because many of us engage in continual shadow work. I know that you do. I know that I do. I mean, I go out in the world that way every day to try to find that mirror. And so, yes, absolutely. We, we don't have time to wait around. But to have a practice of always looking within in every situation and every encounter and until it becomes almost, it's just a natural thing that you do. That's the key, I think, isn't it? Absolutely. I want to ask you one last question, which has really intrigued me. What is the hermetic relationship with the body? Because so many of the major mystical systems have stressed the light, have stressed awakening and consciousness as the primal truth. And of course it is. But one of the things that has blocked our evolution as a humanity has been the intensity of body hatred and sex hatred that you can find in all of the patriarchal mystical systems that comes fundamentally from a denial of the holiness and power of the divine feminine. So how has your hermetic pursuit 
helped you come into sacred relationship with your body as a woman, a person living in a feminine body that is a sacred temple of the indwelling spirit? How has that come to you through hermeticism? Oh, thank you for asking that. So first, uh, instead of a spiritual journey in Hermeticism that rejects all things material in order to attain the spiritual, the goal really of the Hermetic Initiate is to embrace and balance all things. So it's the gathering and the synthesizing that brings unity. Um, that's a sacred aspect of Hermeticism. And so the body is the temple, absolutely. And it's uh, the awakening of the divine within the body that is, that is the journey. And as far as what it's done for me uh, or, or how it's changed my perspective, it's looking at things without judgment. That's what Hermeticism teaches and that the sacred is in all things. I don't have the judgment about my body that I once had. I can look at my body and everybody else's and see the beauty and the sacredness of it. And uh, also working with the principle of gender and knowing when to call on what would be considered a masculine principle. And this has nothing to do with male and female sex, but, but at the generating principles. So to know when to call on the masculine, when to call on the feminine, when to sit back and say, this is not the right time or when to take action. And it, it's really brought that wisdom to me um, and into my body in a pretty profound way. And how does that actually reflect in your relationship? I know your consort and I love him and I know that you love cats and I've never actually seen you with your children, but I imagine this whole adventure into union has resulted in a much deeper level of love in your life. It'd be hmm. wonderful if you could just talk about that because that's really so important to show people that this path of embodiment gives you access to so much richer forms of compassion, of love, and of unity with all creatures. Hmm. And I think when you experience, um, you know, you get the little glimpses or or you can understand the truth of, of divine union, then it you start to see that everywhere. You see it in yeah. nature, you see it in the four-legged uh, family and, and the two-legged family and in your loved ones. And so I think, you know, Steve and I, my partner Steve and I are on the same spiritual path, basically. We uh, talk about it a lot and, and compare notes a lot and sometimes argue a little bit and sometimes discuss. And I think in the end, when you can look at somebody and see God <laughs> and see the divine within them, then it just, it changes your relationship to, to the entire world. It changes your relationship to everything. And of course you can see the connection and the web and that there is no isolated thing, that it's all connected. And living from that fullness of connection is a new kind of life, isn't it? Ah. It's the next <laughs> stage for humanity. It is. And I, I mean, I don't claim to be there, but I certainly have, have had enough experience, you know, with it to understand that it's possible. It is absolutely possible. And we have to do it. <laughs> there's, no, there's no other option. It's fascinating because I have younger people in some of my classes and as clients, and their fears are 
are different than we had. I mean, their fears are climate change. Their fears are not being able to have children because the planet is dying. Their fears are not being able to rise above student debt, you know, not ever having a house or sometimes even a decent apartment because they, uh, they don't have the financial means. And so it's just, it's an, a fascinating thing, but also, and I, I don't know if you found this too, Andrew, but they don't have any patience with some of the spiritual teachings or mentors that you and I may have followed in our life because they don't have the time for that. And so the new age mamby-pamby stuff doesn't work for them. They're not going to go through that phase, you know, as some, as some of the boomers did, I think. Thank God. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I know you and I both feel the same about, about that. Um, but I think it's, it's really showing up for these younger generations. Well, they're serious. The young mm -hmm. know that the world is dying. The young know that we've made a terrible mess of the world. The young know that we're doing extraordinarily little when we're faced with extinction. The young know that the culture is entirely run by the very rich and that the rest of us are kept in subjection. The young know that we've been sexually crazy and have produced all these categories which don't apply to the truth of real emotional and sexual life and they're fed up with any kind of patriarchal body hatred and sex hatred they want a unified vision of the human divine being and they want it clear and with real practices they want the skinny because they need the skinny because they know they're going into a massive evolutionary crisis mm. That's how I feel with the young, and I'm very moved and impressed by them because, my God, they've had to grow up in very savage ways, very quickly, in ways that took us much longer. And we need to be really adequate to their demand for clarity, for purpose, for meaning, and for real practices, and for a really authentic, active vision of transformation i couldn't agree so i am very grateful that the young are as tough and as demanding as they are because as an older teacher it thrills me to see them turning up with their passion and their hunger for change and it thrills me to be challenged to mm. be as clear as i can be because that enables me to give the essence of what i've learned so that it can be useful for them well, and one of the uh, one of the stories you recently told me, which I love, was you've authored. How about you? You've written, I think, forty books or something like that. Is that correct? Yes, crazy. Yes, yes. And so yes. the hope, which I read years ago, and which introduced or brought to the masses sacred activism, which is a term that you coined. And I think you recently had an encounter with someone of a of a bit younger age. <laughs> range that asked you if you had heard of sacred activism yes 25 I, yes she turned to me and she said um <laughs> have you ever heard of sacred activism and i said yes actually i started it and it was such a lovely moment because i was thrilled that she didn't know that it had become a term that was now having its own life that's what you dream of is offering something that can really be helpful to others it was a fabulous moment so what do you I'd love to just them? say a little bit about where I'm going and why it's so exciting for me to dance with you. Mm -hmm. What I'm coming to understand is 
and I'd love to know whether you feel this too from your tradition and from your own experience. I am coming to be aware that we're going through something far, far more testing and severe and challenging and ferocious than an actual transformation. Transformations are tough enough, but a transformation leaves you a better version of yourself. And what's actually happening, it seems to me, on the earth at the moment is a mutation, a transfiguration process that is trying to birth a wholly new kind of human being, a new species that will be very different from ours because it won't be governed by tribalism and rage and greed and hubris because those dark forces are now quite clearly cataclysmic and we cannot control them and we're hopeless in dealing with them. They'll have to be burnt out and transmuted in us to produce another kind of being. And what seeing this transition as a mutation has given me is, is really three things. The first is that it's given me a calm, detached, and very engaged awareness that mega death is necessary, the terrible, terrible burnings out of our now psychopathic shadow are necessary. They cannot be avoided. We're far too far gone not to be undergoing evolutionary chemotherapy at the highest imaginable divine level. Because if we continue as we are, we will not only take ourselves off the earth, we will take a great deal of nature with us. We're not just dangerous to ourselves. We're dangerous to every blade of grass, every animal, every other being on this planet. We are now the aids of nature as we are. And that is a terrible thing to face, but it's true. So that was the first thing that seeing this as a mutation has given me. The second thing that it has really made me commit myself to is to do whatever inner and outer work I can possibly do as a human being struggling at this moment to be mutated myself, to be as clear a beacon of this new humanity as I can possibly be without my flaws and failings. Because at this moment of mutation, there have to be people on the earth who are willingly committing themselves to the alchemical transformation of this mutation to show others, yes, it does lead to more energy, it leads to more creativity, it leads to more joy, it leads to staying purposeful and full of meaning and full of desire to help and transform even when situations become impossible and extreme as they're rapidly becoming. So there has to be that commitment by those who see this as a mutation to be mutated themselves. And that's what I'm making. Yeah. The third thing is that it has made me aware, and this is very thrilling, of a whole range of work that I've been studying all my life in all of the mystical traditions that know this great secret, that know that the true destiny of humanity is to be mutated into a conscious, humble, divine, embodied, 
embodied humanity living in a unified force field of love and compassion and just action and harmony with nature. That is what Jesus meant by kingdom consciousness. That is what Jesus himself experienced in his own body when he was transfigured and went through the transfiguration process. That is what major mystics at the heart of all of the major mystical systems have been through and told us about. So there's been this great secret at the core of the mystical traditions of the possibility of a mutation happening. And that's what I'm plunging into at the moment. I'm really making available the great mystics of transfiguration. I've just done this book on Kabir. I've just done this book of Angelus Silesius. I'm working on a book on Hadovich of Antwerp. I've just given a set of transmissions on the transfiguration process. So my work more and more is becoming undergoing the process as far as I can myself and then reporting back from how it feels, what its challenges are, what its amazing new gifts are, what its joys are, what its deep demands and deep expectations are. And at this time in my life to have really turn to face this and to be able to say with joy that this is filling my life with joy is a tremendous thing because I think that everybody listening should try and embrace the absolutely outrageous condition of what we're really asked to stretch to face. And the stretching goes in two directions. On one direction, we're being asked to face the potential extinction of life on earth through our own craziness, our own addiction to power and hubris. And anyone who can't see that that's now possible within the next two or three decades even is actually blind. They're blinding themselves to what the scientists are telling us, to what we know about a million species being on the edge of extinction, to what major philosophers are telling us about the sixth extinction, about the way we're treating the planet. And there's no point in denying it, because if you deny it, you miss one of the two crucial aspects of this transfiguration process. So on the one hand, we're being stretched to embrace that, to see that, to face that. And on the other hand, we're being stretched to embrace the possibility of a birth that has never been here before of a new opportunity in this horror, in this madness, in this terrible dying, of an unprecedented kind of birth, a complete permeation of our whole being by divine light, a transformation of the mind into the servant of divine light, and of the heart into the servant of divine life, and of the body into becoming a self-conscious, vibrant, luscious, divine temple of the divine light. That's also here. And there are many who are undergoing this mutation right now. So everything that we thought of as human, as us, as the human race, is being completely undermined by the actuality of what's happening. On the one hand, an unprecedented mega death of all of our illusions 
about everything, especially ourselves, and our sentimental illusions about God, imagining that God will forgive us whatever we do and we can do whatever the hell we want to do because God will just be the all-loving parent and keep us going as long as possible because somehow we're the best and we will be privileged beyond belief. All of that is total fantasy. We will be got rid of if we continue to do as we do. Mm. But the other challenge to us is just as extreme because it is saying to us what you thought of as the human being is a transitional being isn't one that has any solidity and is now one that has outlived its use because look what it's doing if this is all that we are we have no possibility of surviving if this is the being that we're stuck with the final apex of our evolution we might as well all go and lie down under a friendly truck because this is not going to help us at this moment being these kind of people addicted to this vision of what it is to be a human being hmm. and it's at this moment that the great evolutionary masters the jane gibson's the Taihat de Chardaz, the Sri Aurobindo's, the Bede Griffiths, the great beings in history like Jesus and other great Shaivite mystics and mystics at the core of the Vajrayana tradition and mystics at the core of the secret Kabbalistic tradition, they are all returning to say to us, you're finding it out. You're not the end of the evolutionary journey. There is another being inside you who is being born right now on the earth through this cataclysmic, apocalyptic crisis. And that being is a very different kind of being, as different as the baboon is from Mozart, as different as the the fish that leapt out of the sea is different from the bird that grew from that fish through evolutionary agony and revelation. So go on that journey now and be aligned with the great birth trying to take place. Act passionately and compassionately out of the consciousness that's being increasingly graced you to help justice be done as far as it can be done in this extreme situation. And you will live a divine life on earth, even in the middle of all of this madness. But as I said, this is a huge challenge to the human race, which shows that it's a mutation because mm -hmm. the new being is going to be born out of precisely this challenge the challenge to let yourself be totally shattered and totally heartbroken and totally annihilated in all of your full certainties that the great death of what's happening makes you undergo and the challenge of being exalted beyond anything you've ever understood about yourself challenge to become something far greater far wiser far richer than anything you ever imagined you could be and they're both happening at the same time to mutate the species because it cannot rest where it is without creating monumental disaster for itself and for every other living thing and if you look at evolutionary history scientifically, you'll see that all the major species transfigurations have happened in such an extreme crisis when it's simply untenable to continue to be the kind of being you've been because everything around you is showing you that that's no longer viable on every conceivable level. We've come to that place. Well, we have. But fortunately, 
as the wonderful philosophy that you've been exploring, which is totally real and totally down home and can give people the real skinny about how to relate to the absolute, how to start to do this real rich work of turning up in union with your soul. If you fuse that very down home, feminine inspired work with the work of the evolutionary mystics who are saying, the evolutionary will of the mother is to birth a new humanity. This has come through in many different beings who have been born, like Kabir, like Rumi, like Jesus, like others. And these figures are showing us what it is to live a limitless life right here in the body. And this is the new life that's being offered the human race so that it can rise to this challenge and either change the conditions before they become totally cataclysmic make or keep humanity in remnants alive during the cataclysmic period that will follow mm. so that's where we are it's where we are and it's amazing that in spite of where we are in the world you know among my friends my community clients i keep hearing people say it's so desperate and yet there's this hope inside me and it's exactly. a hope that makes no sense that I don't understand. And any time we have a death, we have to have a birth, right? And yes. Yeah. And one of the uh, the alchemical axioms is that you cannot build a new structure on the foundation of the old. We're seeing the destruction all around us. We're seeing all of the systems fall that we have, you know, known our entire lives or for generations. And so that has to be mirroring a destruction within. Uh, yes, and it's also the supreme opportunity for to mutate, yeah. to do the work you're suggesting mm -hmm. so that we can become unified human and divine beings, to do the work that I and the evolutionary mystics are suggesting, which is just a reframing of what you're saying, mm -hmm. which is simply saying become a container for a grace that can actually transfigure you so that you can be born out of this huge death into a wholly new level of human presence, of true love in action. Go with that particular flow and your life will be flooded with hope and joy and meaning, whatever happens, because you'll know you'll be in touch, not with the human madness of exploding history alone, but with the divine madness of evolving a new being out of this exploding madness. That will give you joy. It that will. will give you energy and purpose. <laughs> it absolutely will. And the feminine, that the mother is involved in this rebirth. Of course she is. And bringing the balance of... She is the birthing power of the universe. The mother right. is the birther, yes. Yeah, and the inner the interconnectedness, that's a feminine principle. It's something that our world has lacked. It's something that tells us that if we put poison on the ground, it will end up in our baby's bodies. If we cut down the rainforest, we are destroying our own homes. This has been completely lacking, and this is something that's it's a feminine principle, and it's something that the world needs. It is. It's the embodied Godhead. It's the law of interconnection. It's the law of us being one in the deepest actual sense with everything, not just in a nice pretty new age concept, but that our the survival of our bodies depends upon the survival of the air and of the nature that we are one with. We're not separate from nature, we are nature. 
But this is not something that we're going to learn without extreme pain and suffering now, because we show no signs of waking up to it and doing what's necessary. If, if Greta Thunberg can't be heard when she gets up and says, you are, how dare you, you are selling our future, change immediately. And she did it several times last year. And then when the powers that be met at Madrid, they did nothing significant to alter the, the structures of power. So we can't wait for the elites to get it. They're not going to get it. They already know it and they're trying to stay in power as long as possible and they will be as ruthless as possible in clinging to whatever power they have, however things go. That's almost certainly what's going to happen. So everything then depends upon us, upon our consciousness, upon what we are going to be and what we're going to do given a very extreme situation. And the wonderful Good news is that the eternal good news that your tradition is giving is real, and the eternal extraordinary news that the evolutionary tradition, and it's in all of the traditions, and it's in some of the greatest and most towering figures of the last 150 years, and it's living in me and in others at this moment, what that tradition is saying, this is a death for a birth. Get with the birth. Do the work of the birth, the inner work, the inner practices, and do the sacred activism that is the expression of the birth in action. And offer your life up for that birth, and offer your life up as a sacrifice of love and joy for the birth of a new humanity and let's just gamble our lives because we nobody knows whether this will work nobody knows whether we'll be on the planet long enough for it to work nobody knows if how many people need to be born in this dimension for it to spread we haven't got the single idea nobody does because it's now free fall mystery but mm. in that mystery we have guiding lights let's follow them we seem to have lost Andrew, but what a powerful note to end on. You can find out more about Andrew Harvey, his work, and his books at andrewharvey.net, and my website is ravensinclair.com. We hope to be with you again soon. Take good care, everyone. You've been tuned in to Adventures in Evolution with Andrew Harvey and Raven Sinclair. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.